This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome everyone to a special edition of Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadia and a Sports Station 1037 the game and 1037 the game.com live as always from the 237 roof studios there we go how you like me now on this wonderful saturday afternoon saturday morning however you want to put it hopefully you're enjoying your 4th of July weekend I don't know, I sure am I'll give you the idea of what I got in terms of a guest list in just a little bit but I got just enough time to kind of give you an idea of what's on tap on a 4th of July weekend. I debated on doing it. I say, you know what? We're going to do it. I think head coach Tony Robo Show would love to see this show do what it does best and give you an idea of what's causing all this on this July the 6th, 2019. I know the weekend. Man, I thought it would never get here. The weekend is finally upon us. Oh, hell yeah! Pull up a stool and let's get you informed about what's on tap right now and i gotta say there's a lot of things on tap right now and the first thing i think we need to talk about without a doubt is what's going on the women's world cup it is officially finals time what's going down we got the team usa 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 coming up against a netherlands team that beat sweden one to nothing and the United States actually looked pretty decent without Megan Rapino, which I feel like everybody was talking about heading into like Tuesday's action. Whatever you had, her not in the starting eleven, it felt like a big surprise, but it wound up working out quite well for him. And of course, that's something I think a lot of people were looking forward to to see what was going to happen with obviously Team USA. A lot of controversy surrounding them, but they wound up looking really, really good. On Tuesday and tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., USA going to look to go like Drake and go back-to-back with Women's World Cup titles. Meanwhile, Team USA and the CONCACAF World Cup, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. It's definitely one of the weirdest named cups of all time, but hopefully it's one heck of a game. They're going to be going at it, and I cannot wait to see Team USA do their thing in the Gold Cup. They're looking a little bit better, mind you. It's against lesser competition, children of a lesser clot, I guess you would say, but it's still interesting to see what's going to wind up happening between those two, with those two soccer programs. Because I think United States men's soccer team, they're not getting as much credit as they deserve, but then again, we shall see. Because obviously, you got the World Cup in Qatar not too far off, which again, having it in Qatar is a weird thing. But of course, I mean, it's 4th of July weekend, other things on tap, International Fight Week, baby! We are getting that much closer to UFC 239. We got a lot of fighting. John jo- John Bones Jones back in action, and that's going to be fun to see what's going to be going down tonight 
at UFC 239. By the way, if you want to hang out with us and watch John Bones Jones, Tiago Santos, Amanda Nunez, and Holly Holm, well, you can hang out with us at Twin Peaks on Johnson Eats, drinks, scenic views, and a whole lot more. How you like me now, baby? Hopefully you're enjoying it. Hopefully you wind up enjoying the fights over there or wherever you're going to wind up enjoying, but preferably come hang out with us and enjoy a lot of stuff on tap, especially those ice cold brew below 29 degrees and below. So if you love your beer, ice cold, I don't drink beer, but trust me, if you love beer, this is the place you got to be at. And trust me, it is just a fantastic thing. Outside that, of course, it's 4th of July weekend. International Fight Week's going to be in the books. But hey, you know, it's 4th of July week. You might be out on the beach hanging out. That's what's on tap for you. Or if you're like me and you're a nerd, you know, you've got a great bevy, a plentiful amount of movies to go check out this weekend. That's definitely the big highlight from what I was able to kind of check out was all the movies that are out there. If you're a movie buff, this is a big weekend to go do it. Of course, if you're one of the five people in the world who hasn't seen Avengers Endgame yet, you have no excuse. This weekend, you can do it and watch it in the comfort of a movie theater, and nobody's going to be there because everybody's already seen it, and people don't really care about the end credit scenes, from what I've heard. But of course, Spider-Man Far From Home, the Men in Black movie, Annabelle, Got Kids, Toy Story 4 is out, Aladdin, there's a whole lot of great movies, and I'd say if you if you want to wind up enjoying that, that's another thing that is on tap. That's about all I got right now. We're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break, and we're going to keep this bad boy rolling on right here on 103.7 The Game with our good brother Brooks Cabina coming up in just a few minutes. 10.30, Blaine Henry, MMA Talk, 11.15, Ross Jackson. We're going to go around the NFC South, and then Steve Lassen around the SEC. So just kick back, relax, open, pop open that cold papa top, and enjoy a lot under the dome with the famous CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios right here in Upper Lafayette. Hopefully you have a great Saturday morning. And, you know, it's the 6th of July, but that doesn't mean we can't not talk about college football. And to do a little bit of that, we're going to go over to the Artco Equipment Hotline right now to talk with Brooks Cabina of the Advocate. Talk a little LSU football because we need that in our lives. Why not? What's going on, Brooks? Hey, Quinn. How's it going, man? It is going fantastic and has been a pretty busy last couple of weeks for LSU football. One of the big things coming out of had to be going back to Monday with John Robinson joining the football staff, longtime friend of Ed Ogeron. Winds up making you wonder what's going on with this coaching staff. Feels like there's quite a bit of that USC flavor in there. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of uh, people on that staff that have some LS, uh, some 
some of that USC ties, I mean, from everyone, from Ed Ogeron himself down to, uh, you know, some of the analysts on staff, to the offensive line coach James Craig, they've all had some ties back there. And, you know, they, they, they picked up uh, to, to put that together. And, you know, that's, that's part of the thing. Um, you know, adding John Robinson as an, a senior consultant to, to the head coach, which is his official title, I mean, yeah. in basic terms is, you know, he's basically going to be an advisor to Ed Ogeron, someone to talk to. And, you know, I think it's, uh, it's timely. And I think what you can tell from this kind of hire is, you know, Ed Ogeron's kind of come to this juncture in his career where he has a championship caliber team. And anybody that's been familiar with John Robinson and all of his uh, decades and coaching from USC to the Chargers and the NFL is, you know, he coaches at a high level and won uh, four Rose Bowls in the national championship while at USC and contended as a head coach for the Chargers. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a time, uh, I mean, the Rams and, you know, it's, he had some relationships with the Chargers with North Turner later on. Um, but, you know, he's a, you know, it, it, from my time covering at Ogeron, he's never been someone to turn down advice and help you. And he's always kind of kept close with his circle of coaches throughout his career. It seemed like every game last year he was talking about somebody on staff that he knew. So, you know, bringing somebody on who knows about the big game, knows about the big season, and, you know, can – be an advisor to Ed, not only him, but the rest of the staff. And I'm sure he'll talk to some of the players as well. And, you know, he's got some ties to Baton Rouge through his family, and it kind of makes sense at this moment. And, you know, it's it, it they've, uh, you know, always given Ed what he's asked for so far in his career, whether it be analysts or, you know, more more paper coaches. And, you know, you've seen that across the, the time. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's that time of year where, where some of those additions have happened through analysts and all that. So, you know, there's another one for LSU uh, that's that's kind of interesting. Talk right now with Brooks Cabina of The Advocate. And, man, definitely a lot of other things going on. Going back to last week even, we look at a lot of the big things go, what, that went on at the Board of Supervisors Athletics Committee, including kind of promoting Verge Osbury, a big highlight, and also a raise in pay for the former Deputy, Deputy Athletic Director and also a lot of renewals or extensions, I should say, for Steve Ensminger, Bill Armstrong, and a whole lot of other people. Just like, they did it real quick within five minutes. What's your take on some of the guys that have wound up gotten a lot of extensions? Namely, I'm kind of surprised Steve Ensminger getting a two-year extension. Mind you, that's more because he's definitely a little bit long in the tooth, if you will. Well, Steve Ensminger got a, a one-year extension. Um, you know, he's he's going in, he was going into this season with one year left, and they added yeah. another year. Um, what that tells you is, you know, he's getting a little security and going into this year with a new offense and a new uh, assistant coach and Joe Brady. And, you know, that's that's always something a coach would like going into the season. You hardly ever see uh, major coordinators or head coaches going to year with one year left. Um, there, there's all, always a speculation of when Steve's going to hang it up. And, you know, does that offer a uh, an interesting timeline? I don't know. You could read into whatever you want. And, you know, uh, you know, Joe Brady came onto the staff and, Ed Ogeron is, you know, I asked him a couple of um, about a month ago, whenever he was at the coaching caravan, if if, uh, if anything ever happened to Steve, would he consider Joe Brady to be his offense coordinator? He said, sure, he would. I mean, he's in a situation Joe Brady is to kind of impress and learn. And uh, at 29 years old, he's in a really good position to be at a top program and show what he can do. Um, but you know, a lot of that is just speculation to you know, extra year on, onto a contract. And I think Steve is in control of what he wants to do with his career. Ed Ogeron's always been supportive of him. 
throughout the years and given him his chances. And, uh, you know, I think all of it is obviously dependent on how that offense does this season. But that was the, that was the most interesting one out of that, James Craig and uh, Greg McMahon. And uh, so James Craig, offensive line coach, and Greg McMahon, the special teams coach, both of them got two-year extensions along with uh, Tommy Moffitt got it further down the line. Uh, Tommy Moffitt, the strength and conditioning coach, has you know, won uh, many strength and conditioning awards over the years. And Ed's always been very – uh, supportive of what he's done with the players. It seems like he's talking them up every time he gets a chance. I mean, um, with good reason. Uh, so those were the big ones. You know, Verge Osbury, obviously, he's he's been the deputy athletic director for a while, and that uh, administration's changed hands over to Scott Woodward. And uh, this new, um, I mean, obviously, he got the extension as the deputy athletics director, but the other part of it is external relations for the university. Um, for those of y'all, you know, checking in on that, that, has a, that doesn't have anything to do with the athletics department. He, uh, Will be more of an external communications guy, uh, you know, going and dealing with uh, people, whether it be at the Capitol or other things, um, uh, you know, representing the university, uh, you know, for many reports to the uh, LSU office. You know, that's outside of athletics, so that's a that's kind of a, a bump for him and getting an opportunity to go outside of athletics a little bit. So, you know, maybe have some aspirations down the line and all that, but it's, a, it's another good opportunity. If you remember, that's kind of what Scott Woodward did back whenever he first worked for Mark Emmert, uh, coming out of politics in the local Louisiana scene. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot that went on down there. Talk right now with Brooks Cabina of The Advocate, and you brought up Joe Brady and him potentially if something were to happen to Steve Vinsmaker, logically would be him kind of next in line to take over as the offensive coordinator you know what you can kind of take a POV at from what you've seen with the relationship between Coach O and Joe Brady. It feels like they're very buddy buddy. They're very good friends, at least on the surface. It seems like, of course, everybody said that a lot about what happened with the Matt Canada situation a few years ago. But what can you say about the relationship that Coach O and, John, and Joe Brady have? Well, hell, it's easy now. They haven't played a game, so <laughs> you, know, you, you put together an offense and it looks great on on the practice field and drawing up plays to where they work on the board. I mean, it's, it's going to be nice and playful at this point, but as soon as it starts to not work, maybe, maybe that changes. But, you know, that, I mean, that's the relationship right now. He's, you know, it's early. Um, you know, there's, he, he hired him and gave him the space to do what he's supposed to do. They believe in him. They've given him the money and the time and the opportunity at a young age to prove himself. And uh, not only that, I, I think what's more important is not the relationship between Joe Brady and Ed Ocheron. It's the relationship between – Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger. And because they're the ones that are constructing this offense, they're the ones that are going to be sitting in the press box together while a game is going on and constructing a game plan and how are they working together. And Steve Ensminger, if you've ever met him or listened to him, the guy does not have much ego at all. And, you know, we talked about, he was very open about his relationship with Joe as a, as a coach and um, as, a, as a play caller. Um, Ed has given, retained the off, uh, the, uh, play calling abilities to Steve Ensminger. So whenever they're up in the booth, you know, Steve's got the final say on the play call, but Joe Brady's sitting next to him. No, during a game, I think a lot of people kind of forget, you know, there's a lot of input going into what plays called next. Um, you know, everybody's kind of asking opinions and then say, Hey, what do you think of this? And you throw it down the line. But, um, you know, what's really going to come down to is whenever you're in a fast paced situation in the last couple of minutes of a game and there's eight seconds left in the play clock and you got to throw a play out there. So Steve, with the final call, is going to be the one that has to throw it out there. So that's where the relationship is. But, you know, watching them cut it up at the LSU Coaches Caravan, Joe Brady is young and I think he is aware of the kind of situation he is in. 
and he's just happy to be there. I mean, he walked up while Steve Insmig was talking to us media guys, and uh, he, he showed up and had his iPhone ready and kind of acted like he was a reporter <laughs> waiting for his turn, and he asked a question. He's like, so what do you think that Joe Brady hired? Steve Insmig returns back to him and was like, I think I told Coach Hill that was the worst decision he ever made in his life, and they laughed. And, <laughs> you know, it was, it, you know, they have a good relationship at this point, and you know, we asked, uh, you know, Joe if he had, I mean, Stevens, if he had any ego at all, and he's just like, no, no, I, I wanted him here. Uh, I wanted someone who knew how to fix the passing game, and that's what we needed. So, seems like right now everything's, you know, a match made in heaven. Um, you know, uh, you know, obviously that's going to uh, stand the test of the season, and we'll see what happens there. But for now. Everything seems to be working pretty smoothly amongst them. It's a huge step in the right direction when you think about what Joe Brady has done in the past I mean, with the New Orleans Saints. I mean, you can definitely kind of feel it. Of course, the hype has been around this program for a while, obviously. Dating back, I brought up Matt Canada. I think that was just a strong example of how this offense felt like it was going to change significantly. Mind you, it did change not necessarily to the liking of Coach O, but looking specifically at kind of how things could go, from your perspective, could we see a shift more towards it being, let's let's say, a 60-40 balance between pass and run with the 60% being pass instead of maybe what it has been, where a lot of it has been relying on the run game? Yeah, it does seem like it's going to be a lot more of the pass game. You bring up Matt Canada, I think uh, the comparison here, the differences are, you know, Ed is saying at this time, this is the offense he's always wanted. And that was the root problem always with uh, Matt Canada, never really was what he wanted, and they had a lot of disagreements behind the scenes. Um, you know, he kind of you know, handpicked his guy at this certain stage as well, and, uh, you know, he's, he's been a lot more vocal and supportive about what – and clear about what he wants. Um, so, so Joe Brady, you mentioned the Saints and what he did there. It's hard to tell the influences that are there uh, because, you know, he was listed as an offensive assistant. You know, he wasn't a coordinator. He wasn't a position – uh, player, uh, a position coach either. You know, he was just someone that was there for the day to day and helped out um, behind the scenes. And you know, uh, you wondered what kind of influences were there. I think recently, only recently, about you know a week or two ago, because the spring game had very little film, so it's very hard to make comparisons. But the the Saints' uh, influence started to leak out whenever Steve Ensminger and Joe Brady started saying that the wide receivers are now learning concepts, route concepts instead of specific positions, like, you know, the Z or X or Y receiver, the slot receiver, you know, Justin Jefferson played mostly out toward the sideline. That was his specific position last year. Now what they're doing is every receiver learns route concepts so Justin Jefferson can run, say, a slant on the outside, and then he can run the same slant at the slot and on the other side of the field as well. And there's dozens of, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what the numbers are, but I'm sure it's plenty route concepts that each receiver is able to know. And it allows them to have diversity. And you saw that with the Saints a lot. It's a very common thing uh, if you watch the Saints game, how wide receivers, running backs, everyone are moved around. And uh, I asked Mickey Joseph, the wide receiver coach, about this and what it can translate on the field. And he said, as soon as we find the guy who can't cover, we're going after him. And if you remember, if you're a Saints fan, you remember this pretty well because uh, you know that's exactly what the Saints did against the Los Angeles Rams, and they did it over and over. And, and uh, Sean Payton said after the game that it was a really big part of their uh, game plan with Michael Thomas, and he set a Saints record by going after one guy. 
uh, Marcus Peters. And uh, that was during the regular season. Then they tried it again in the NFC Championship game where they actually picked him, you know, knocked him down in, in, a, in, a, in a crossing route with a tight end. You know, they picked on him, and they moved Michael Thomas around. So that's the kind of thing that you'll see with LSU, and that's that Saints uh, influence. Uh, obviously, the run-pass option stuff is uh, kind of pre-snap that he would have influenced from the Saints, but uh, most of that would come from Joe Moorhead over at Penn State. That would be more of it. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're, I think there's definitely going to be a lot more passing in this uh, this attack. I don't know if they're going to abandon it, but it seems a lot more like a pass to set up the run kind of situation. Brooks, thanks so much for coming on, my man. I understand we're, we're just entering the month of July. We haven't gotten to training camp yet, but, brother, we're going to be talking a lot of LSU down the road. Appreciate you coming on once again, my man. Hey, no worries, Clint. It's always football season. It's always football season. That's why Brooks Cabina is the man, and I absolutely love to- having him on to talk about the world of college football, LSU football, and everything at large. We're going to change things up a little bit, shake up the tumbler, and go over to some talk about the UFC 238. We're talking about it next. It is International Fight Week, and it all kind of wraps up with the big fight coming up. Two big fights, in fact. It will be out at Twin Peaks on Johnston. Watching it all with you. So why not join us tonight at Twin Peaks on Johnston for the eats, the drinks, the scenic views, and the fighting. It's all coming up. But hey, Blaine Henry is coming up next on Under the Dome with Clint D. Right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And it is finally fight night, UFC 239. It is going down tonight inside the T-Mobile Arena. Or should I say, T-Mobile Arena going down tonight. And by the way, you can check it out with us at Twin Peaks on Johnston Street eats, drinks, scenic views, and fighting. There ain't nothing better than that. It's got to give us a little preview of what's going to be going down tonight. UFC 239 International Fight Week. Kind of wrap it up in a nice little bow. Is our guy Blaine Henry. What's going on, brother? What is up, my man? I am so hyped. This is going to be such a fire card. I am so excited for this. Oh, it's definitely going to be probably one of the strongest cards from top to bottom. Mind you, one of the bigger fights, especially amongst the big dogs, is um, uh, actually got canceled before the fight, and that was I mean, the heavyweight bout between Nganu and Junior Dos Santos. Is there any chance of that match? When could that match happen again, or is that going to be pushed back to more 2020? That match actually happened last week, Clint. Oh, um, Junior Dos Santos and Francis Nganu uh, decided they needed they needed someone to head, headline their uh, UFC Minneapolis card, so they moved it up a week, um, and Francis Nganu knocked out Junior Dos Santos in the first round. Uh, Francis's power is absolutely insane. He's literally the Mike Tyson of MMA right now. It's been a wild last few days, so excuse me for kind of for completely forgetting about what was going on last week. UFC Minneapolis actually wasn't half bad of a card. No, not at all. A bunch of finishes, a bunch of great fights. Uh, my friend Maurice Green got a win. 
Uh, Eric Anders ended up winning. He's a former Alabama football player. Don't boo him. He's a good dude. I've talked to him. So, yeah, it was a good card all in all. I won't boo him, but I'm almost certain a lot of people in the Acadia area might boo him just a little bit right now, talking with Blaine Henry, our MMA mastermind. I absolutely love talking to him about what's going on in the fight game. And, of course, like I said, it's a pretty stacked card, but I think one of the highlights has to be, without a doubt, one of the fights that's going to be kind of higher up on the card is the Ben Askren fight. This is going to be his debut, if I'm not mistaken, after coming from one and also Bellator. This is his, actually his second fight. He beat Robbie Lawler, um, who is a former UFC champion. But yeah. Ben Askren is one of the best wrestlers in the game right now. And Jorge Masvidal is a good wrestler, and he got hands himself. That's going to be a fantastic fight. Ben Askren's really good at talking trash. And he talks in kind of a nerdy way, something different <laughs> aside from the whole uh, rich boy Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor stuff that we've been seeing. So Ben Askren really is a breath of fresh air. He's fun to watch if you like wrestling. If you don't like wrestling, get ready for it because he's coming for the top, baby. I can about imagine he's going to be all over the place. But, of course, let's look, let's look on down to the undercard and the prelim card and the early prelims. Just to get your idea of what kind, what matchups should we be most looking forward to, especially building up to UFC 239? The biggest fight on the card, aside from the, the uh, two main events between John Jones and Amanda Nunes, Chito Vera, his real name is Marlon, but he goes by Chito, is taking on Hernandez. Chito Vera is always exciting to watch. The kid always comes with fireworks. He's from Central America. He's a huge star down in Central America. And every time he fights, he puts on a show, win or lose. He leaves it on the line. The very next card also is a very great fight with Gilbert Melendez and Arnold Allen. Gilbert's a great fighter. Arnold's also a real good test for him here. Um, Gilbert's brother is getting a chance to get his shot in the UFC. So the family has fighting in their genes. Gilbert Melendez is a fantastic Fighter, that's going to another be a fun, uh, going to be another fun one to watch as well. Also, the debut on the early prelim card, Jack Marshman comes from Cage Warriors. Um, Cage Warriors has produced champion after champion. You know, Michael Bisping, even Conor McGregor came from Cage Warriors. So, Jack Marshman will definitely be somebody to watch. I like it. I like it. Talk right now with our guy Blaine Henry, Cage Side Press, and also the Fight Library Podcast. I'm thinking now we got to kind of look over. At that main card, namely, I think we start things off, obviously, looking at the women's bantamweight title match. Amanda Nunes, Holly Holm, definitely two household names. This one's going to be absolutely huge. If you love women fighting, this one is definitely at the top of the list. Amanda Nunez's hands are bricks. I mean, she throws absolute bombs, and Holly Holm is an 18-time kickboxing world champion. It's going to be a fantastic striking fight. Holly Holm, I mean, Amanda Nunez, I'm sorry, has beat literally every champion at women's bantamweight and women's flyweight there is, with the exception of Holly Holm, who, of course, beat Ronda Rousey to take her belt from her. So it's a check off Amanda Nunez's list. I see Amanda taking this fight pretty early on, probably first two or three rounds. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with that fight going down tonight. Holly Holm, Amanda Nunes, but of course we got to kind of talk about what's causing all this. The main event of the evening, John Jones, Santos. What can you say about this matchup, and can we see John Jones continue to dominate? John Jones is probably the greatest mixed martial artist, not named George St. Pierre. Um, he's running out of people to fight. This is his second straight middleweight fighter he's fighting. Um, Anthony Smith, of course, his last fight was uh, a former middleweight, and Tiago Santos is a former middleweight as well. That being said, Tiago is a crazy fighter. He goes out there, and he throws unorthodox strikes. He does spinning cartwheel kicks. 
I mean, he brings it all when he comes to fight. So there's that surprise factor. Um, if you're asking my expert opinion, though, and you're putting money on it, I'd go with John Jones all day. He's always a safe bet. And, you know, we just look at everything that's happening. International Fight Week It's always kind of the big talking point. Any other big things that have been happening over the last week or so that you've noticed that have been interesting during International Fight Week? Luke Rockhold is also on this card. He's fighting Jan Blakovich. Um, Luke Rockhold is a former middleweight champion. He's moved up to light heavyweight. And Diego Sanchez also is fighting on this card. Diego has been around since UFC, the very first Ultimate Fighter. So it's it's a uh, a fantastic guy. He's great, and he's still got fire in him. Recent fights that have been announced, you've had Joanna Janjacek, the former strawweight champion, and Michelle Watterson fighting. You also had announced today Platinum Mike Perry and Vicente Luque fighting, which is going to be another barn burner. Last fight that they announced big, Robbie Lawler and Kobe Covington. Um, Kobe Covington's the former interim champion. Robbie's the former uh, welterweight champion. They're fighting at UFC Newark as well. That's going to be a pretty interesting next couple of fight cards, but I want to jump back over at John Bones Jones because he was actually talking with a lot of the fans recently as part of International Fight Week, and he was asked about who's next on his list of opponents. A lot of people threw out some really fun ones. More interestingly, John Cena was one that was thrown out, which is weird, but okay. But I'm telling you, John Bones Jones, who's next for him, win or lose? Well, the UFC really wants Luke Rockhold, who is a former middleweight champion, to fight John Jones because of the fact that John hasn't really had quality opponents aside from Gustafson um, in D.C. He's he's really just had a hard time finding good people to, to bring to the name. His fights are quite boring, if you want to be honest, because he wins. You know how he's going to win. Um, he's going to win by whatever he wants to do. So Luke Rockhold brings that X factor into the equation. Another rumor out there is if D.C. beats Stipe Miocic, like we talked about last time, if DC beats Stipe, he'll probably retire, and that means the vacant UFC heavyweight title will be on the line. And I personally would like to see Francis Ngannou and John Jones bang it out for the vacant heavyweight strap. Talk right now with Blaine Henry, our MMA, boxing, all kinds of fight talk expert. Well, flipping it over, I found this interesting. Looking back at we talked, I think we talked about this a while back. What what happened with UFC 236 back in April? Kind of, you saw a lot of. Well, you saw a lack of pay-per-view buys in comparison to what happened with Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. Wound up reportedly double what the UFC managed for 236 last April. But what do you say about Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship? Is this something that can wind up being a replacement for boxing? You know, Pauly Malignaggi and Artem Lobov was was a great draw because Pauly is a former boxing world champion. Artem's a fan favorite UFC fighter. So that brought in a lot of eyes for that fight, and they talked a really good game going up into it. Bare Knuckle will not overcome boxing, but it kind of gives fans that middle ground and that testing ground for boxing versus MMA fighters because it's kind of a boxing match, but it also has its own um, different set of rules in that too. I enjoy it. It's fun. It's gratuitously violent, so it's not for the faint of heart, but it's a blast to watch nonetheless. Then again, if we're being honest, if you're – if you're watching boxing, MMA, bare-knuckle fighting, you could pretty much expect that not to exactly be for the squeamish. Am I wrong? No, not at all. That's that's a, It is a promotion for the hardcore fans. Oh, exactly. I can't wait to see what's going to happen on that end. It's definitely interesting to see that. But we were talking a lot about International Fight Week, but they're not done yet when it comes to a lot of the big fight cards coming up. I think, obviously, one thing we got, I think everybody in the Acadiana area is penciling in 
is August the 17th, Cormier Miocic 2. But I think we got to look at what's going to be coming up down a little bit for, a little bit closer down the road with a lot of fights like UFC 240 and also what's going to be going down with UFC Fight Night coming up, not this sat obviously next Saturday. Yeah, UFC Fight Night next Saturday is going to be a really good card. Um, I'm trying to remember who is on that card. Geez, you caught me off guard here. Wow. I mean, you got um, Uriah Faber, Ricky Simon. It's got to, it looks to be the co-main Oh, event. yeah. Uriah Faber, UFC Sacramento. Uh, Jermaine Durand and Aspen Ladder fighting um, in the main event in that card. Jermaine has a great, great boxing pedigree. She's got powerful hands. And Aspen Ladder is slick as well. Um, Uriah Faber's coming out of retirement, and he's facing a very dangerous Ricky Simone who just cracked the top 15 in UFC Bantamweight. Um, so Ricky's a, a fantastic fight. That's a tough, tough fight for uh, Uriah Faber coming back after, I think, two or three years off of, after being retired. He said that new baby he got of his is expensive, and he needs to buy some diapers. <laughs> I can about imagine this might be quite expensive. But, Blaine, a couple more questions here with you. I think we got to want to talk about Regis Progray because I get on the regular a bunch of emails from World Boxing Super Series, pretty much frequently, but they've been pretty low-key. Has there been any... Hard announcement for his finals match coming up. I'm getting the same emails as you, my man. They're, they're, they've got three finals coming in to this uh, last fight. Rumor has it they want to do it in Los Angeles, which is a huge market. I, I completely get that. And they have the cruiserweight bout, which is set. Um, you have, obviously, Regis Progray versus Taylor. And you also have uh, Nonito's final fight for the, the, the title there. So there's going to be three title fights for World Boxing Super Series in the final. Rumor has it in L.A., probably close to August or September. Uh, if, if I had my money on it, it would be we're hearing something about that very, very soon. Definitely going to be interesting to see what happens over there with that fight because, man, I guess Regis Progray has been an abs- on an absolute tear as of late, and I love what I saw from him back in April, which is actually where we met. But one more here for you, sticking with the world of boxing, it's amazing. Manny Pacquiao still out there doing it to this day, and he actually has a big fight coming up July the 20th. Are you even interested in this? It just feels like Manny Pacquiao, it's time for him to realize when time is up. Man, I'm not going to lie to you. Manny Pacquiao is still, he still has it. He's still exciting. I mean, he comes out and he brings it every night, and he does not look like he's uh he's faded much either. You know, his loss to Jeff Horn was very, very um yeah, a head scratcher. Uh, Keith Thurman is a tough opponent for him. That's going to be a real fun fight to watch for the WBA Super Welterweight title. Uh, it's in Las Vegas. No, I mean, yeah, it's in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand. And, I mean, Pacquiao's coming off of that those two wins over Lucas and uh, Adrian Broner. So, you know, he's riding some momentum. And, and I mean, let's be honest. It's Pac-Man. you got to watch him fight. He's a legend. It's like, watching, it's like watching Michael Jordan play with the Wizards. Yeah, he's not quite what he was, <laughs> but it's still Michael Jordan. I can about imagine. Blaine, you know, before I let you go, why don't you let us know what's been coming up on the Fight Library podcast? Because I know you get a lot of great interviews. Let me know what's coming up with that down the road. Well, like I mentioned earlier, Eric Andrews of Alabama football, he's a a light heavyweight fighter now. Um, He's coming on the show. I have some wrestlers. Joe Rouse coming on the show. Um, I also, for my website, for fight-library.com, I interviewed a 13-year-old professional Muay Thai fighter. Her name is... Quincy and she is a beast. She's not one of those cute. Oh look, she can she can punch. No, she's throwing elbows and and she's just the best thing ever. So it'll be on my website fight-library.com. Obviously, you can catch all of my uh 
MMA work on cagesidepress.com and boxinginsider.com for all my boxing work. Blaine, thank you so much, my man, for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road because we got a lot more UFC coming up, especially that big fight between D- with DC Miocic 2 right down the road. Thanks, my man. You take it easy. All right, that was Blaine Henry, everybody. You can follow him on Twitter at Blaine Henry MMA and UFC 239. It is tonight. And like I said, we will be there live at Twin Peaks on Johnston. If you don't know where that's at, it's not far from the Acadiana Mall. In fact, if you kind of take a little back road around the Acadiana Mall, you can get there no problem. That's usually where I kind of hit it up, usually turn it into that area. Just it makes it a lot easier for me. And honestly, if it's easier for me, it's easy for you. We got a lot more to get to here on 103.7 The Game. It is Under the Dome with CD. And, of course, you know we'll take a look around the world of college, of college baseball. College baseball is over. It was over a couple weeks ago. But we'll look around the major leagues, give you an idea what kind of series you can watch this weekend. Obviously, this past weekend was really fun, especially 4th of July. All the ball games happening were absolutely phenomenal. Give you an idea of what series you need to keep an eye on all throughout 4th of July weekend. Heading into the All-Star break. Can't believe we're almost to the All-Star game on Tuesday night. Definitely going to be fun. I guess I'll take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back with a whole lot more. Once again, out at Twin Peaks on Johnson tonight, UFC 239. Eats, drinks, scenic views, and most importantly, fighting. We'll be back with more after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7 The Game.com. of baseball season is a long one and the famous cd isn't afraid of rounding the bases on a saturday morning time to play ball and touch them all right here on 1037 the game hopefully i don't get too winded rounding the bases right here on 1037 the game welcome back to under the dome and it's major league baseball time nearing the all-star break and my goodness a lot of things to talk about and definitely some interesting matchups if you look at what's going on this weekend, especially today with the Texas Rangers and the Minnesota Twins t- facing off. This is going to be an early matchup with Jesse Chavez taking on Martin Perez. Definitely something just to keep an eye on. Baltimore and Toronto is one of the other matchups. Baltimore, just absolute garbage. Toronto, only thing interesting about them is the fact they've got two second-generation players Kevin Biggio and Vlad Jr. Who, by the way, Vlad Jr. has been pretty damn good. Another kind of big news, I think we also undoubtedly, undoubtedly got to talk about one of the other big matchups coming up this weekend, and that is between New York and Tampa Bay. These two teams have definitely been neck and neck when it comes to the AL East race. I mentioned on Monday, I feel like the Tampa Bay Rays are going to fall down a little bit, largely because of the fact that they are a team that's going to wind up getting clipped by a Boston Red Sox team that's going to surge in the second half, and that take probably won't age very well. I hope it does, to be quite honest with you. Of course, over here, Houston Astros, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Garrett Cole, baby! He is on the bump for the Astros. It's actually going to be on Fox, so three straight weeks, you're going to be able to watch him on more than just, oh, hey, Root Sports, where you can catch it. 
at a, just a sports bar if you're unless you're lucky enough to have satellite TV. I don't. That is probably my mistake. Also, a lot with a lot of New Japan stuff going on right now. I wish I had it because I would love to catch some Access TV with what's going on with New Japan over in Dallas tonight. I am jealous of TV's Dylan. He's out there. I'm over here in the 237 Roof Studios chilling as always. But now we move back to what's going on in the MLB after that quick rant. The New York Mets, who very much up and down. Jake Arrieta, Noah Syndergaard facing off. It's the Phils over at New York taking on those Metropolitan Mets. Not quite amazing, but definitely amazing to watch how much of a bleep show their front office is, especially after the way they handled the 1969 Mets celebration, which in case you didn't hear about, you had the 1969 New York Mets be introduced, and apparently they had an in-memoriam segment of the celebration, and they had people who are, you know, still alive. And I think maybe one of them was actually there and posted something on Facebook. It's like, hey, guys, I'm alive, bro. Don't worry. Like, He probably got a bunch of texts saying, dude, did you die? No, I did not die. These are dudes are a bunch of Melvins. Another fun series, I feel like. The Cubbies and the White Sox, a cross-town rivalry. That's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. And then, of course, one other series to keep an eye on, a little West Coast connection between the San Diego Padres. The only thing going on in San Diego outside of a sports station trying to revive itself a la Frankenstein's monster. But we also got something really cool going on. The Los Angeles Dodgers right before the All-Star break. Looking really good in the NL East. Like I said, right now, it's the first half of the season. It is in the books. But trust me, we have only just begun the All-Star game coming up on Tuesday night. Alex Bregman, he's going to be participating in the home run derby on the left side of the bracket against Jock Peterson. You heard me right, Jock Peterson. We'll look around the AL in terms of the standings real quick before we have to hit that hard break. Yanks up six and a half games in the AL East over Tampa Bay. The Minnesota Twinkies eight and a half games up over the Cleveland Indians. They're taking on the Rangers, who are surprisingly decent this year, but are eight and a half games back of the Houston Astros right now, who are looking pretty good. And then we've also got, in the NL, the Atlanta Braves lead that one. And they got the hot potato that is the NL Central. The Milwaukee Brewers and the Chicago Cubs are trading this around like the SmackDown women's title. And then the AL West is being dominated by the Doyers. Take a quick commercial break. Back with more. You're listening to a special edition of Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037 The Game. 
hour number two of two now underway right here on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. Live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios right here in Upper Lafayette. <clears throat> Karen Crow, by the way, hopefully you're having a great Saturday afternoon. I am absolutely enjoying mine because guess what? I got through a good hour and it was delightful. Brooks Cabina, Blaine Henry, Ross Jackson, Steve Lassen coming up, Ross Jackson as well. And I've got a quick little thought about Tony Robo Show to end the program. I don't want that to bog down the entire show. I want this to be kind of me talking about Robe a little less, and then eventually we can kind of get back to some form of normalcy because I feel like that's what head coach Tony Robo Show would want Wednesday. By the way, in case you didn't know, I was very much emotional. It was just like that day hit me like a ton of bricks, just like it did everybody else. And it hit me right in the solar plexus. It just punched me and took everything out of me that day. It took a lot to kind of get through everything I was dealing with that day and making sure it didn't bleed over over the airwaves, especially in a sports station. I try and maintain some form of decorum and make sure I can be in that moment without letting the emotions just flow out. Because I'm a person, here's the thing. I am a very emotional person. I love, I had, when I had those moments where I just got to let it out, I have to let it out or else it's just going to destroy me until it finally comes out. It's, it's, it's a weird part of my body. I'm a person who just, whenever it's, whenever I get emotional like this, it just hits like a ton of bricks. And then once it's done, it's done, but you just got to find that moment. You got to pick your spots emotionally and finally let that out. And I have, I did. I got through it, and hopefully, you're all getting through the grieving process and know he's no longer in pain. Which I feel like is the greatest thing of it all. He's no longer in pain. He's able to. He pretty much got a fast pass into heaven. I feel like he is a guy that deserves everything in the world, and then some, and more. He deserves. He deserves everything when he gets to the kingdom, up in the sky, up into the big ballpark where you have. Never-ending, flowing beverages. Let's just go with that. You've got everything going on, and you're able to coach an awesome team. And it's just, it's, it's sad. It was, it was just sad to kind of find out about it live as it happened. And everybody who wound up just commenting on our Facebook page and Twitter and everything, it was just amazing to see the outpouring of affection for a man that really was about baseball, but it was more about the about what was going on outside of that what's happening with these kids life after baseball which i feel like is an underrated part of the game that is called life but i'm gonna talk about that a little bit more before we wrap up today's show in the meantime we got ross jackson a little nfc south talk and we get to that next right here on acadiana sports station 103.7 the game and 103.7 the game.com
Welcome back to Under the Doma right here on Acadiana's Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com, live from the two three seven roof studios on a wonderful Saturday afternoon. And we're going to get things going, keep it rolling on right now on the Arco Equipment Hotline, our guy, Ross Jackson, All Saints considered in the Locked on Saints podcast. And we're going to do something a little bit different. We usually talk a lot about the New Orleans Saints, and since we're just kind of patiently waiting, get the countdown clock rolling for what's going to be happening in just a few short weeks with training camp and, of course, preseason, the regular season, all that fun stuff. We're going to kind of, me and him, take a look around the NFC South. To do that, once again, Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and the Locked on Saints podcast. He's patiently waiting, so let's get to it right now. What's going on, my good brother? Hey, my brother, man. Glad to be here with you on this uh, this wonderful day, man. Good holiday weekend and everything, so I appreciate you taking the time to have to, uh, to chat with me. Hi, right, man. I appreciate you, as always, for coming on. You are just consistently always able to come on. It is just fantastic. Starting things off, before he gets into the in-depth NFC South conversation, apparently y'all put up something earlier this week about the rookie Madden ratings, and I'm definitely a little bit surprised to see <laughs> one person in particular, all the other ones kind of, it is what it is, but looking at Eric McCoy in particular, rated 67. This guy's probably going to wind up being a starter. Are you surprised that he's rated 67, or is that kind of run of the mill for a guy that is a center on the offensive line? Does that kind of fall in line with everybody else that's on the, that's Madden ratings have been released. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's it's a little weird. I feel like I feel like the offensive line rookie ratings from Madden this year are just a little weird. Even Garrett Bradbury, who is you know considered the number one offensive lineman, particularly interior offensive lineman, I think he was rated at only a seventy three. Uh, and so it, it's kind of and that's the highest. That was the absolute highest offensive lineman. They had Dalton Reisner ahead of Eric McCoy and a couple of other. Uh, uh, weird, weird choices like that. But you know, I mean, I, I guess it. I guess it's kind of par for the course. I mean, we see these pretty consistently. They always start the rookies off really low and things like that. A lot of that has to do with I'm. A, I'm an old Madden player, so I know that you know awareness carries a lot uh, toward a lot of weight toward those ratings. And they usually put the rookie awareness ratings down pretty low, which sort of helps keep the overalls down. But one of the things that I, I, I am excited to see, though, is that I think he's got a speed rating, if I remember correctly, of about 73. And he was, of course, one of the fastest offensive linemen, the second fastest person in the combine over 300 pounds with a 4.8940. So I was glad to see them at least give him that nod as a mobile blocker. <laughs> it's a big boy with a big motor. I love it. But now we're going to move over to the world of the NFC South. And I want to start things off looking, of course, at the, I guess you would say dumpster fire. But then again, it feels like they're trying to rebuild it. I'll get to that in a minute. And that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it makes me wonder, you know, Ross, like we just keep thinking about the fact that last year, it I said it constantly last year, this was going to be the end of the line for Jameis Winston. His career was going to end in abrupt fashion. But it feels like now he's just sitting there on this roster pretty much seems almost certain to be the starter. Am I wrong there? No, you're absolutely right, and it's and and you're also right that it's 
it's pretty confusing. I mean, Bleacher Report just published an article earlier or earlier this week talking about how it's too early to judge Jameis Winston, and I I completely disagree with that. I think we've learned everything about Jameis Winston that we need to learn at this point, and I don't think that uh, Byron Leftwich and, and Bruce Arians, as much as I have respect for Bruce Arians, I just don't think that they're going to be the ones that all of a sudden become the great Jameis Winston, uh, Jameis Winston whisperers and turn his career around. I, I just don't see it, and I don't. I don't know what the what the, uh, the the loyalty to him as their starting quarterback is. Talking right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, Locked On Saints podcast. I mean, we're talking about Bruce Arians. I think it's more for Bruce Arians' job right now isn't to make this team a contender overnight. You're talking about the Jameis Winston whisperer. I don't necessarily think that's going to be his job as much as trying to help him get better because we know Bruce Arians. He has a great relationship with a lot of the players that he's dealt with that have had mm-hmm. some off-the-field issues. I think many people in this area know all too well. Obviously, Tyran Matthew, yeah, Patrick Peterson, those kind of guys. Like, mind you, a lot more Tyran Matthew and all, all the stuff that he was dealing with before he entered the NFL draft. All Everybody knows the story. And to see him like kind of get his stuff together, thanks in large part to what we've seen from Bruce Arians, I think it definitely is trying to help him become a better person in general. Maybe eventually he become a better player. Yeah, I mean that's I'm sure that that's the hope, and you know I, I have a ton of respect for Bruce's for Bruce Arians and being able to see him come into the NFC South was something that you know was I was happy to see him get back into the coaching. I didn't want to see him necessarily in the NFC South, but yeah, I think that that's the sort of ultimate idea is to be able to help Jameis Winston improve. I just. I feel like we've sort of seen and learned everything we need to learn about Jameis Winston, and we've sort of seen where it is that he's going to get. And, you know, I mean, but here's the thing. Like, Bruce Arians has been considered, you know, widely in, and, and in all of his career considered a quarterback whisperer. So we'll see exactly what happens with them there. But one of the things that you said that I think is absolutely right is that, you know, there was that never really an expectation that this was going to be a one-season sort of complete turnaround from 2018 to 2019. This is going to be a process. This isn't going to be a type of a Pelicans rebuild that just happens over one offseason, although they're going to continue to do their work, but it's incredible what they've done. But being able to see what Bruce Arians is going to be doing within the next few seasons is going to be very exciting. But in terms of looking at the NFC South outlook of 2019, I think that seeing where they're going to – I mean, just with their schedule and everything heading into 2019, I can see them falling toward the bottom of the division yet again. So basically they stay exactly where they're at. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Maybe, you know, what, they finished 5-11 and 11 last season. I just think with and, – and a lot of those wins came behind – or a few of those wins came behind uh, more of the Fitzmagic – uh, led yes. team than you know than the Winston led team, and then you look at the fact too that you know they they have to travel the sixth most out of any team in the NFL this season, including traveling to London, and they have two, including London, plus two thousand uh, mile trips uh, to travel in, during this 2019 season, and that includes six weeks before between games at Raymond James Stadium because they have the London game that counts as one of their home games. And so they go a total of 49 days without playing in their own home stadium. And it's just going to be a really tough stretch for them, and that falls right in the middle of their season. And so, I mean, I love the addition of uh, of Devin White, of course, and some of the other moves that they've made, like shipping um, – uh, uh, Jackson out and everything, getting him back to Philadelphia. There was just some some personality problems, some chemistry problems with that, and so they're making a lot of the right the right moves. But I don't see them with the moves that they've been able to make in the short time that they've had with this rebuild. Uh, I don't see them taking too big of a step forward in 2019. 
Talk right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered in the Locked on Saints podcast. You know about the fact that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are headed to London. I'm going to deviate from the norm for like one moment and want to get your thoughts on this. Have the, has the NFL just completely like ruined the idea of football in Europe with the amount of crappy teams they've put in there compared to what we saw last weekend with the Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees playing in London? I'd much rather see that kind of quality product as opposed to what the garbage that they've put out in the NFL. It just feels like they're wanting to promote NFL football in Europe, but it's like, hey, guys, here's our like land of misfit toys. Here's what you got. Deal with it. Yeah, they've kind of just wanted to sort of roll it out the way that they wanted to. And I love the way that the MLB did this to where they said, okay, great, we're going to do this London game, but we're going to send you two of our most historyed franchises to do so. And then they did that right off the bat. You know, there's been 29 of the 32 teams so far have played in London. Three teams have not. That includes the Panthers, who will this season, and the Texans, who also will this season. But one of the most historyed franchises in the NFL, the Green Bay Packers, has still yet and will, will be the last team to play in London. They still have not played a game there. And after the season, they'll be the only team that hasn't played there. But you imagine that you'd send them, you know, you'd send them your, your Patriots games, your, uh, your, your Dallas Cowboys games, your, your Green Bay Packers games, your most history franchises in order to, you know, really strengthen that, that uh, connection that you have and that you've started to build with London in this international series. But for whatever reason, it's been, you know, let's watch the Dolphins and the Jets play or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, giving you the the bottom of the barrel. I mean, I would love to like the London people to enjoy a game between, let's say, the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers, exactly. two of the most like like prolific franchises. Sure, the it feels like you could flip a coin to determine what's going to happen with the Chicago Bears. But now we're going to move over, back over to the world of the NFC South, moving back over from across the pond back to the states. But, of course, I think we got to talk about the Carolina Panthers. Their sharp teeth and claws, it feels like they've been defanged a little bit, if you will, especially with Cam Newton having that second surgery in three off seasons. Can this team kind of can, – can Cam Newton hold up, or is this going to wind up being a do-or-die year for him if he can't necessarily step his game up after having another surgery? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you want to trust that, but then you look at the decisions that the Carolina Panthers have made and you look at, you know, they spent the third round pick to bring in Will Greer as a potential backup and potential successor to Cam Newton. And you wonder just how much they even trust his rehabilitation. I mean, he did come out here recently that he is throwing and he's getting back to full strength and stuff like that. But, you know, look, the thing about the Carolina Panthers, and I'm going to go back to schedule for a second, is that when it comes to Cam Newton, I mean, first of all, this team is only going, they're going to live and die by Cam Newton, essentially. And they're going to live and die by that right shoulder and their schedule is very very easy the early portion or much easier the early portion of the season and then it gets tougher toward the end of the season and when you look at what happened last year six and two to start off and then rattling off eight straight losses or seven straight losses before the week 17 victory in new orleans where you know they played the essentially new orleans offensive line of wet paper bags uh it, it wasn't you know you can see that same type of rhythm potentially happening again in 2019 to where maybe they start off strong but then it all kind of comes down to when crunch time is there and when it's time for this team to really perform at its best against its best opponents how is that shoulder going to hold up how many sacks is it going to take until he's back where he ended up in 2018 talker right now with ross jackson all saints consider locked on saints podcast talking a little more around the nfc south and one more sticking with the carolina panthers we're talking about cam newton 
What do you think could happen with Will Greer, especially when it comes to training camp? This guy coming out of West Virginia also played some time at Florida and has looked good in the past. Could this be a guy mm-hmm. that, that could very well be the heir to the throne, at least for the short-term future of the Panthers? Yeah, I mean, I I really like Will Greer. I really liked him in this draft coming out of West Virginia. Uh, he's I, I, I love the fact that they selected him. I think that it tells you a lot, like I said, about how maybe they're feeling about Cam Newton as his potential rehab rehabilitation from this from these surgeries and this injury moves forward. But I mean, you're talking about you know a guy that in his senior year through, you know, 37 touchdowns and eight interceptions on over 3,800 yards. I mean, we looked at him over at All Saints Considered as somebody that could be a really interesting, uh, really interesting choice for the Saints in this draft if they were to have decided to go quarterback, which ultimately they did not. But we really like the idea of Will Greer potentially being that guy. He's a very accurate passer, 67% his, his, uh, his senior year, which is really great for a college quarterback. You know, we're not, they're not all going to be Drew Brees 74.1% out there. But he's a really excellent uh, backup for – or I'll, I'll, I'll go further than backup. I'll say heir apparent to Cam Newton. If they can train him up and then if his game can translate well to the NFL – uh, you know, one, whenever it is that they decide to move on from Cam Newton or Cam Newton's career, you know, comes to an end at his own choice or whatever that may be, uh, which could be, you know, many years from now. But regardless whether that's next season, the year after this, or five or six years down the line, they've got they've got somebody in the barrel there that's a pretty good pretty good option for them. A couple more questions here with Ross Jackson, All Saints considered, and the Locked On Saints podcast. And, you know, now we got to move over, of course, to a team that blew a 20-3 to lead in the Super Bowl, you know, oh. uh, the Atlanta Falcons. I think we need to talk yeah, about yeah, them. That's the one. That's I think the one. we need to talk about them a little <laughs> bit. But, of course, you know, now they've got a new coordinator in Dirk Cutter, former Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach. And it just feels like to me, you know, can this Atlanta Falcons team be dominant? Can they keep things rolling the way, the way they, they had been in the past? Well, you know, I think one of the things that's going to be huge for them is they didn't do a ton in terms of their offseason acquisitions, whether through the draft or via uh, free agency. I mean, they they helped to shore up their offensive line a little bit, but you're putting two uh, very, very young starters essentially out there with their with those early uh, offensive line draft picks against some of the really, really good defensive lines in the NFC South within their own division. And so that's going to cause a little bit of trouble for them over on the right side of of the ball. Um, And that's kind of where they've always sort of had issues along the offensive line. And then they didn't really do a lot in terms of the the offseason work for the defense because they're sort of hoping that as these players return from injury, that that will essentially serve as their free agency difference from 2018 to 2019. So your players like Ricardo Allen and Keanu Neal and, of course, Deion uh, Deion Jones, those players that were injured and that they missed sorely on the defensive side in 2018, coming back in 2019, I'm sure they're hoping creates enough of a boost for them to, you know, potentially win this or compete for the NFC South uh, in 2019. But they still far, fall pretty far behind. I mean, when you look at uh, Sportsbook right now, or Sportsline rather, they're 8.6% in terms of in terms of playoff chances or in terms of winning the NFC South. Uh, so every all three of the teams outside of New Orleans are under 10% chance. And so, you know, they're leading off with a pretty, pretty minuscule number there. Um, and their schedule is not all that, I mean, not all that simple for them either because they really sort of enter a gauntlet toward the middle of the season there. One more about the Atlanta Falcons, and we you brought it up perfectly. It feels like this defense is starting to get a lot of its talent back during the preseason. They wound up losing a lot of guys to injury mm-hmm. for the entire season. 
But looking more specifically offensively, it felt like for a good chunk of the season last year, they just could not kind of get out of their own way offensively, weren't able to kind of get things done, especially when it mattered most at the goal line. Do you think Cutter can wind up changing that aspect of the game? Um, there's potential there. I mean, I think that you can look at what Cutter, uh, you can't really look at what Cutter did in Tampa Bay and then feel good about what he can do for Atlanta. You know what I mean? Um, and, and of course that was a different position. He wasn't serving as an offensive coordinator. He had a coordinator there, but he was still handling a good portion of play calling and things like that, game planning and everything. And so you kind of have to hope for that. The other part of where they really seemed to struggle over the last few seasons too, was in the red zone and everything. And and that's really not Dirk Cutter's strength either. So it's, it's a little tough to try to project what it is that Dirk Cutter is going to be able to bring to them. That's going to cause much of a huge positive differential or, or in terms of making a big difference for them moving forward. It's going to kind of come down to how these guys can can play and how many weeks is it going to take for Julio Jones to score his first touchdown of the season? Uh, how clutch is uh, uh, Matt Ryan going to be able to be throughout the season when they get into these, uh, when they get into those late game situations and they're only separated by a few points? Can the defense hold up? Can the defense stay healthy? There's just a lot of question marks surrounding what it is that the Atlanta Falcons are going to be in 2019. And a lot of things have to go right in order for them to be competitive. And that's the part that sort of gives me pause about, you know, even just looking at it objectively, not looking at it as, uh, you know, a, a Saints analyst talking about the Falcons, just looking at it objectively. There's a lot of question marks there uh, that gives me pause when I look at what how, how successful the Falcons could be in 2019. All right, I got about 30 seconds left. Awesome. Uh, quick question. Um, give me your give me your NFC South preseason ranking right now. Uh, for me, preseason rankings would probably be uh, Saints on the top. Then you'd have uh, Falcons at number two, Panthers at number three, and then Bucks pulling up the rear at number four. But again, I just want to say I think that the Bucks are in good shape moving forward. Just we're not going to see that really happen this season. Man, Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road once we kind of get into the thick of it when it comes to training camp. Thanks again, brother. Always, man. Looking forward to it, and I'll talk to you again soon. Have a good, uh, have a good one, man. All right, that was Ross Jackson. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC. Also, check out the Locked On Saints podcast. It is just fantastic, a great resource to say the least. We're going to be coming back with a whole lot more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. It's not a bad take. It's not a good take. It is a phenomenal take, and that is about head coach Tony Robichaux. One more time, thank you, 36. The man is just undisputed champion and i wish he was still here that's just my two cents there but thank you coach for everything both as a head coach and all the success you've had and also as a man and what you've been able to do to be a leader of men and help develop the next generation of leader the next leaders of men like i said i'm out of here have a great rest of your saturday afternoon be back with you next weekend under the dome with cd getting that much closer to talking season at sec media days more deets on that in a little while
You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station. Once again, Acadiana's Sports Station 103.7 Game.